Hi, my name is Mary. The Old Testament reading is found in Joel 2, 11 to 13. Mighty are they, those who obey his word. The day of the Lord is great. It stirs up great fear. Who can endure? <coughs> Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, with sorrow, Tear your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, very patient and full of faithful love and ready to forgive. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in Acts two sixteen to 18. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 27, 45 to 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At about three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the way that you call to us and speak to us. We ask now that by your spirit, you would call us to life, call us awake, call us to attention. We pour it out on us, even as we hear your word being read and being taught. Lord, speak to us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Great to see your faces, all of you joining us online. I'm sorry we can't see your faces. We are missing you. Everybody give them a big, oh, we miss you. And a cheer, yeah, you were ready to cheer too. You weren't, you, you can cheer now. Okay, cheer now. There you go. There's the awe oh, and then the cheer. That's great. And, and we're glad you're able to join us on Facebook or YouTube, on the website. I know several people have commented, as soon as we get the vaccine, we're coming back. We're looking forward to that. And I just want to remind you that in a couple more weeks on Sunday, February 7th, New Life Downtown will finally return downtown. Uh, we, we will not be, yep, we'll not be at, the Ant, at, the, at Palmer. We will be at the Antlers Hotel. Uh, and so it's going to be a wonderful place. In fact, uh, you, if you remember Palmer, you'll think the Antlers is like the glory of the latter house being greater than the former house. So it's going to be wonderful. We've got a couple more Sundays here up in mom and dad's basement at New Life North. No, no, it's a great basement. But on um, February 7th, we'll be down there at the Antlers Hotel, and we can't wait. Another bit of, thing, a bit of news that I just wanted to celebrate. Um, our very own Brooke and Bobby Nicholas opened this weekend their boutique hotel in downtown Colorado Springs called Kinship Landing. And we just want to celebrate that. Brooke worked on our team for a number of years in a number of different roles. And this has been a dream in their hearts for a lot of years. It's like the mix of adventure tourism and radical hospitality. And so if you're watching out there, New Life Downtown is cheering you on. Way to go. You're doing great, good work in our city. And we're so grateful for you. 
Well, last week we started a series called Everyday Prophets, as you saw from the bumper video. Everyday Prophets is a series through the minor prophets. And these are the books in the Old Testament, toward the end of the Old Testament, that are shorter books. And they're called minor prophets, and not because they're less important, but rather because they didn't write or their writings were not written down in such large quantities. So the quote-unquote major prophets are the ones with the longer books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the minor prophets are the ones who kind of wrote blogs and essays and, and that sort of thing. Uh, that's a joke. Um, and so they're, they're a little bit shorter. And, and today, we're wrestling with the question as we open up the book of Joel. We've made this, this bookmark for you, by the way, that gives you a little schedule so that you can read along with us. I know if you're like many of us, uh, you, you don't read the minor prophets all that often. You don't, if you're in a Bible reading plan, you're like, let's skip that one. I understand. I don't blame you. But look, this is your chance. We're doing a series. We're teaching through each one prophet each week. And so on this little bookmark on your seat, it tells you um, the, the order that we're going to cover this in, and so you can uh, read along, listen in your audio audio Bible or whatever, and kind of keep up with us. Today, we're talking about the book of Joel and what Joel has to say, and Joel is speaking to a people who have gone through the trauma of a plague, the trauma of a natural disaster that has occurred, and in those moments, those are the moments where you sort of look back to the past like so many of us are doing, the past, like 2019, and just reminiscing about the good old days. And as my mind began to wander during sermon prep this week about the good old days, I, I, I was searching through to find photos of our wedding, of Holly and I's wedding, and I found this picture of my groomsman that I put up on Instagram. And I put it up there because I thought, okay, let's play a little game here. Name that boy band, you know. <laughs> We had some good entries. It was like uh, Frosted Tips or something like that. Uh, that was true for a lot of them. Wild hair, Aquanets, hairspray, you name it. And in case you're wondering who that gentleman is second from the right, if that indeed is Pastor Jason Jackson, it absolutely is. And uh, when I was looking at that, I mean, look at that. We're skinny. We have ha- I have hair. You still have hair. I, you know, I have a little more hair there. And you look at the stuff like that, and maybe if you do dig through stuff, maybe you found yourself at home more than normal, you're digging through things, you're show, showing it to the kids or whatever, and you're like, man, those were the good old days. Or I've seen some posts for some of, from some of you where uh, you, uh, you're, you can take that picture down now. Let's not leave that up any longer than it needs to be. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Maybe some of you whose children have grown and you're, they're celebrating a milestone birthday, 30, 35, 40, whatever, and you go back and you post these pictures on Facebook and you're like, oh, I remember when. And nobody tells us when we're living in the good old days, right? Nobody tells us when you're in those moments. By the way, it's all downhill from here. And in fact, for many of us, we sort of don't want to believe that. And so either we look back in times of trouble, either we look back and say those were the good old days, or we look forward and we say the best is yet to come. But really, we, we, it's, it's disorienting when you go through trouble. You don't know if this is it, if it was better then, or if this is just the sort of uh, the lull before it starts to rise again. And don't worry, the best is yet to come. In the book of Joel, the people of God are likely wrestling with those kinds of questions. And so I've titled the sermon this morning, Where Have All the Good Times Gone? Any Eddie Van Halen fans in the room? Where have all the good times gone? Who was Joel? Joel was a temple prophet, likely, possibly. We don't know a ton about him. We're piecing together from what he's writing. It seems like he's familiar with temple worship. 
talks a lot about it, but he also seems to be somewhat of a poet. In fact, some commentators look at the book of Joel and say this is three long poems kind of stitched together. And they're meant to sort of take us on this reflective journey. And so this morning, I want to point out three days. Joel uses the metaphor of a day, a day of the Lord. And I want to talk about three layers of this day. And the first is that it is a day of reckoning. It's very likely that Joel is talking to a people who've experienced most recently a plague of locusts, a terrifying plague of locusts, a locust invasion. And he doesn't name specific sins for this reckoning that has come and is coming. He he doesn't list out their sins because it's almost obvious. It's sort of like the parent who's about to launch into a lecture and their kid's like, Dad, I, I know. I already know. Maybe that doesn't happen in your home. It certainly happens in ours. And so Joel doesn't recap all the things that they've done wrong because it's sort of like kind of obvious. You know what you've done. And, and, and even more so with Israel and with Judah, the southern kingdom, these were sins that were cyclical. It's like there's no creativity here. It's the same old stuff. Idolatry, exploitation, all of that. It's going on and on and on. And so we don't know a specific thing, but there is a day of reckoning. Joel 1 verse 15 says, What a terrible day. The day of the Lord is near. It comes like chaos from the Almighty Isn't the food cut off right before our eyes? Aren't joy and gladness also gone from God's house? Now I want you to see this. He names the big themes here of joy and gladness being gone. And then he goes a layer down and he says, here's why it's all gone. And he says, isn't the food cut off from before our eyes? Aren't joy and gladness also gone from the house of the Lord? The grain shrivels under the shovels. The barns are empty. The granaries are in ruin because the grain has dried up. How the animals groan, herds of cattle are in distress because there's no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep pant. Joy and gladness are gone because grain and wine and the animals, the livestock themselves are suffering. He's going down to these root causes. The locusts have created a devastation in the land. And if you go back up a few verses earlier, verses 3 and 4, It says, tell it to your children and have your children tell their children and their children tell their children. This is not that different from the moment that we're living in. Often, Holly and I have said to each other, man, you know, if we get out of this alive and if God gives us the grace one day to have grandchildren, we'll be talking to them about 2020 and 2021. It will be in history books. That's what Joel's saying. This is going to be in your history. These are stories that they're going to tell their children and they're going to tell their... This is a memorable moment in the nation's history. What is it? Verse 4. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the devouring locust has eaten. You're like, I didn't even know there were so many different kinds of locusts. In the Bible, the word locust shows up 21 times in the Bible. Ten of those times are in the book of Joel. He's, he's almost got as many references here as anywhere else in the Bible. But these images, the grain drying up in the barn, the animals groaning for lack of food, put that in our day. That might be like the last 11 months for many of you. You're like, all of my contracts dried up. All of my travel got canceled. The, the jobs were no more. Uh, we were unsure about where rent or groceries was going to come from. 
We had unexpected medical bills and on and on you could go. You could say, yeah, we have our version of that. They had locusts, we got COVID. And there's something about this setting that, that is eerily familiar. And we're thinking, man, what's going on here? But if you look closely in Joel's day, the locust image is a troubling image for the people of God because when's the last time there was a plague of locusts in the Old Testament? It was with Egypt. It was when Israel was slaves in Egypt and God was calling them out. And as a sign of his judgment on Egypt, he sent what? Locusts. And so for so many years, Israel would have thought, yes, locusts, that is God's judgment on those evil people out there. And then all of a sudden, Joel shows up and he's like, yeah, those locusts are God's judgment to us in here. And that's an uncomfortable thing. It's a day of reckoning, but not a day of reckoning for all those bad people out there. It's a day of reckoning for us. It's a day of reckoning for the people of God. And that's the first thing we're meant to see in the book of Joel. Judgment begins with the people of God. Judgment begins with the people of God. Over the last 10 days and two weeks, people have been saying, well, I'm really concerned about the state of our nation and the health of our democracy. And there are legitimate concerns. And there's lots of things to be aware of and cautious about and concerned about. But can I tell you, that as a Christian, the concern that is over everything for me is not the state of the nation, but the state of the church. Where are we as the people of God? What idols, last week when we talked about Hosea, what idols have we begun to worship? What confusion have we begun to make between God and a country or God and a party? And Joel wants these people of Judah to hear, listen, this time the locusts haven't come for Egypt, they've come for you. The day of reckoning is for us. The day of reckoning is not for us to point fingers and blame and say these people are terrible and these people deserve judgment and God, would you deal with that? The day of reckoning is when God says, actually, I'm knocking at your door. I'm here for you. I'm here to make you face your own sins. You know, it's funny because in the book of Joel is that little passage that was set to music back in the 80s. I don't know if you ever sang the song. They rush on the city, they run on the wall, but great is the army that carries out his word. Anyone? They blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. I play the trumpet. I sound the alarm in my holy man. And we had the jig, you know? It's like the two-step. The Holy Ghost hop. We're doing the stuff. And we're like, I mean, think about what you're singing. Sound the alarm. Woo! They rush on the city. Which city? We don't know. (laughs) Do you know what Joel is saying? He's saying this natural disaster is a sign of a greater judgment that is coming from God. And he's saying, look, look, they rush on the city. It's an invading army that's coming. And we don't know the exact date of when Joel is writing, but we know that Judah eventually falls to the invasion of Babylon. Over a long period of time in the 500s BC, 586, 585. Could it be that Joel is saying, look, this thing in the natural is a sign of something that's coming. And either way, you need to understand this is a day of reckoning. But then Joel tells us that there is also a day of repentance. This is a day of repentance. You know, back in April, May of last year, maybe June, 
people started beginning to ask questions. Hey, where is God in all of this? What is God doing in all of this? Is this God? Did God cause COVID? Did God do this or that? We know from the New Testament, Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The nations that invaded Judah would themselves be judged by God for invading. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. All devastation is to be associated with the enemy and evil and his work in the world, not attributed to the fundamental character of who God is. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, but I have come to bring life. And yet, God as the sovereign one will allow agents of evil to become vessels of his purpose. God allows this. And God allows Babylon, this wicked nation, to be an instrument of judgment to his own people. That doesn't mean Babylon gets off the hook. You're about to see in a few other prophet books. Book of Nahum. For example, of other places, the other ways that God deals with it. But here's where I think we can kind of get lost. We can get so caught up in the question of, did God cause it? Did God allow it? What's the difference? What's God doing? Can we like read the signs of the times and discern where we're living and all this stuff? And you know what you miss? You miss God himself. You miss the Lord himself. It's the day of the Lord. It's his day. And so what Joel wants us to know is not only is this a day of reckoning, but this is a day of repentance. A day of repentance. Joel 2, verse 11b, the second half of verse 11 to verse 17. The day of the Lord is great. The day of the Lord is great. It stirs up great fear. Who can endure it? Yet even now, says the Lord, hear it, return to me with your hearts, all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, with sorrow. Tear your hearts and not your clothing. It was a sign of repentance to rip your clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes on your head. And and, and God, through the prophet Joel, is saying, look, all of that's fine, but it's meaningless if your heart is not also rent in two. I'm not looking for your displays of devotion. I want your actual repentance. And then he says, return to the Lord your God, For he is merciful and compassionate. Look at these verses here. If you have a Bible that you can underline, these are the verses to underline. For he's merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love, and ready to forgive. This is the image of God we are meant to have at the forefront of our minds. Some of you maybe are less familiar with the scriptures or with church, but you're kind of like, isn't the Old Testament God just kind of mad all the time? Look at this. In the middle of talking to them about judgment, he says, but the Lord is merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love. And in case you're wondering, he's ready to forgive, ready to forgive. If you repent, you're not going to find a God that says, I don't know. We'll see. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you. Find a God who says, yes. That's why last week with Hosea, we said God's posture toward us is just come home. Joel echoes that. He builds on that. He says, come on, return to the Lord. Verse 14, this is a rhetorical question. Who knows whether he'll have a change of heart and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the horn in Zion, demand a fast. Request a sacred assembly, gather the people, prepare a holy meeting. Now watch this. He starts to name all the different segments and stratas of society. 
gather the people, prepare a holy meeting, assemble the elders, and gather the children. I want every generation here. Even the nursing infants, let the groom leave his room and the bride her chamber. If it's a good day and things are going well, you still come and repent. It doesn't matter if you're like, actually, Glenn, COVID's been pretty good. I know that for some of you. I know that for a lot of you, you're like, actually, our business has boomed and this has taken up. That's great. Joel's point is not so much that you personally are going through hardship, therefore repent. Joel's point is everybody repents. Everybody return to the Lord. If it's going well, if it's not going well, if you're an elder, if you're a nursing infant, it doesn't matter what generation. If you're like, well, this wasn't our job. This, was, this wasn't our sins. This is the sins of our grandfathers. There's a lot of that going on right now in our public discourse. The sins of this generation, the sins of that. Joel's like, it's irrelevant. Everyone return to the Lord. Everyone return to the Lord. And then he says, between the porch and the altar, let the priests, the Lord's ministers weep. This isn't about pastors. This isn't about people in the front saying, well, we're good, but you dirty, rotten sinners out there. (laughs) This is Joel saying, everybody kneel. Everybody kneel. The priests, the Lord's ministers, kneel between the porch and the altar and let them say, have mercy, Lord, on your people. Don't make your inheritance a disgrace. Disgrace, uh, uh, an example of failure among the nations. Don't let them say among the peoples, where is their God? What we understand from Joel is that the day of repentance says to us that true repentance is actually inward and outward. True repentance is inward and outward. We, We tend to sort of pick one over the other and we say, well, I better go to the altar call I better go on a big fast. I'm going to announce on social media my long fast. (laughs) You know, all of this stuff. But inside, like what's actually changing? I I don't know. Or we say, well, you know, the Lord knows. Lord knows my heart. Lord knows. I'm sorry. I don't actually have to say I'm sorry, do I? I don't actually have to confess my sins one to another that I might be healed. James wasn't serious about that. I don't have to live in community. I don't have to be accountable. I don't have to be vulnerable. I just got it right in here. Joel's like, do it all. Let your inner life and your outer life be congruent. Truly repent and let it show up so that everybody knows. Everybody knows. True repentance is inward and outward. And then thirdly, Joel wants us to know there is a day of renewal. There is a day of renewal. Joel chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. Then the Lord became passionate about this land. I love that phrase. God himself. He, again, he's not a cold, indifferent, distant God. He became passionate about this land and had pity on his people. And the Lord responded to the people saying, see, I'm sending you the corn, the new wine, the fresh oil, and you'll be fully satisfied by it. And I'll no longer make you a disgrace among the nations. The reason we said Joel is a poet is because he's got this symmetry here. All the things he listed in the negative, he now lists in the affirmative. All the things that were taken, he now has this sort of poetic um, balance here where God is bringing it back. And so he names it, the grain, the oil, the wine, no more a disgrace. I'll remove the northern army far from you and drive it into a dried up and desolate land. Its front into the eastern sea and its rear into the western sea. Its stench will rise up, its stink will come to the surface. And then he says, the Lord is about to do great things. 
The Lord is about to do great things. I want to point out just a couple of images for you. The imagery of wine is used in the book of Joel. And actually through all of the scripture, wine is a metaphor of joy. And in Joel 1, 5 through 6, it says, Wake up, you who drink too much and weep. Scream over the sweet wine, all you wine drinkers. Because it's snatched from your mouth, because a nation powerful and beyond number has invaded my land. The wine is gone. But then in Joel 2, verse 24, the threshing floors will be full of wine. The vats will overflow with new wine. Joel 3, verse 18, in that day the mountains will drip sweet wine. Wine lost, wine restored. Joy lost, joy restored. And then he uses this image of grain and rain, he says, don't fear fertile land and be glad for the Lord is about to do great things. Don't be afraid animals of the field. The tree will bear its fruit. Verse 23, the children of Zion will rejoice and the Lord will pour down abundant rain. It's coming. It's coming. Everywhere there was desolation, there will now be restoration and abundance. And then those locusts. <laughs> Those locusts that maybe were there in the natural but were also a metaphor for an army. In Joel 2, he says, I will repay you for the years. The years that the cutting locust, the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the devouring locust. I appreciate that Joel renames all the locusts. My great army which I sent against you. Now you get the sense that there's something more going on phrase that Pastor Jason said to me this week as we were talking about the the sermon and the book of Joel is that the message here is there is nothing that has been lost that cannot be restored. There is nothing that has been lost that cannot be restored. He is the God who raises the dead. He is the God who raises the dead. There's nothing that has been lost that cannot be restored. In fact, what you recognize is that Joel is not talking about a renewal that comes because of our own doing. We can't make rain come from the heavens. We can't make the crops flourish. We can't make the locusts go away. We can't stem the invading invading army. But Joel says, but God, the only one who can, promises to do it. Restoration is coming. And when we read this as Christians, we don't want to just run away with this and be like, that's right. I demand prosperity in my bank account in 2021. That's what the TV preachers would say. But as Christians, we've got to read this text through the lens of Jesus. What happens to Joel's words as we come to the Gospels? Well, Joel 2 verse 27 promises God's return to Israel. He says, you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God And no other exists, never again will my people be put to shame. He promises a presence. It's interesting because Joel calls for Israel to return to the Lord, but then he promises that God himself will return to Israel. Isn't that amazing? God himself will return to us. Matthew's gospel opens with the story of Jesus, Mary being pregnant with Jesus, and they say, and we're going to call him Jesus, for he'll save the people for their sins. And then it goes on in the next verse and it says, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. How does the prophecy that Joel says, I will return, I will be in their midst. Jesus himself came. God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus, this points forward to Jesus. 
And then you think about all those moments where Jesus in the Gospels, he turns water into wine. What does Jesus do when the wine runs out? He says, I can work with water. What do you got? I'll turn it into wine. What does Jesus do when the bread runs out? He multiplies bread so the hungry are fed. I've said this over and over again, New Life Downtown. There is not one miracle story in the gospel that's just a random party trick. Every one of the miracles of the gospels is a deliberate sign. It's Jesus saying, we promised, God promised that he would make us eat and be satisfied. Drink and be filled. And what does Jesus come promising? I am the living water. Whoever drinks will never thirst again. I can multiply the bread so that the bread that I give will be for the life of the world. I will turn water itself into wine. Jesus over and over again is saying where there was desolation, I will now bring abundance. It's Jesus who does this. It's Jesus who does this. And then when we read in Joel 2 verse 10, It says, the earth quakes before them and the heavens shake and the sun and moon darkened and the stars have stopped shining. Very often in the prophet books, darkness in the heavens is a metaphor for judgment. It's it's, in our language, we'd say the sky is falling. For them, they'd say the the sun's not shining. The moon's gone dark. The stars, there's no more stars in the sky. It's all gone dark. Sign of judgment. What does Matthew's gospel tell us about the day that Jesus died? Some of you will remember our Good Friday service and how we end the service by blowing out the candles and darkness fills the sanctuary. Why? Because Matthew 27 verse 45 says, from noon on until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. And at about three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, My God, why have you left me? This is one of the most powerful ways that Joel's words come forward in Jesus. The day of reckoning came to Jesus so that the day of renewal could come to us. The day of reckoning came to Jesus so that the day of renewal could come to us. See, friends, this is why... If you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, should I repent? I mean, if I repent, I mean, what's God going to say? I mean, what, what about this and what about that? And what if he's really ticked? And what if, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at the cross. Behold Jesus. The day of reckoning came on him. That was the day where he suffered the very judgment that was ours so that renewal, And restoration can come to us. And of course, that last part of Joel 2, after he talks about coming in their midst, he says, I'll pour out my spirit on everyone. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves. Peter quotes this on the day of Pentecost. To say, look, 
This is that which the prophet Joel saw hundreds of years earlier. We couldn't have known how God would do it. All we saw was the devastation of locusts and the threat of an invasion. All we saw was all the things we had lost, but we couldn't have dreamed that God would one day gather people in from every tribe and every tongue, would break down barriers between Jews and Gentiles and slaves or free and male and female and young and old and put it all together in one new community called the church. The church, this is how God brings about his promised restoration. Now, friends, I want to say something to you. In Joel, the natural disaster becomes a metaphor of God's divine judgment. And in a similar way, the natural restoration is only a hint of the true spiritual renewal. And so what's easy for us to do is to read the book of Joel and be like, oh, this is great, disaster, judgment. So go ahead and fill my bank account back up. I pray that 2021 is good for you on all those fronts. But whether it is or not, this is the day of spiritual renewal. This is the day of spiritual, whether health flourishes and bank accounts, I I hope it does. I want that for you. I want every good gift and every blessing of God to be yours. But I have news for you, whether or not that occurs, the greater thing that that is pointing to is the spiritual renewal that the Holy Spirit brings. And that is yours today. That's yours today. And so the invitation for us this morning is to welcome the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. If Aaron and the team would come, the invitation for us is to welcome the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder this morning if we could respond to this by knowing that the day of reckoning came to Jesus, the day of renewal is ours today. What's left is the day of repentance. It's for us to come before the Lord and to say, God, I'm sorry. Whether or not God did this, did that, whether God caused, whether God allowed, whatever is going on in the world, don't be so caught up in trying to read the signs of the times that you miss the Lord of the times. The call for us is to seek the Lord, to return to him. And maybe it helps you this morning to kneel, maybe it helps you to humble yourself before him, but this is a moment. This is a moment, church, to to do what the word of God says, to return to the Lord with weeping, with repentance. Say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our cynicism. Forgive us for our self-righteousness. Forgive us for our aloofness. Forgive us for our judgmental spirit. Forgive us for staying away. Forgive us for allowing our love to grow cold. Forgive us for our idolatry. This is a moment to rend our hearts before the Lord. Let's just do that wherever you are. If you're watching at home, take a knee where you are in your own home say Lord help Lord forgive us Lord we rend open our hearts make us soft toward you again make our hearts soft 
towards you again, Lord. Just begin in your own way, wherever you are, to turn to the Lord, to repent. God, we haven't loved you with our whole heart. God, we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. God, we've been caught up in drawing lines and tribes and looking for judgment out there, forgetting about your conviction in our own hearts, God. God, break down the walls of division, separation. Tear it down in us, God. Jesus. Come. We welcome now the Holy Spirit. If you would, just say with me, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come like the rain, the latter rain. Come like the rain that makes our hearts fruitful again, the land of our, the soil of our hearts soft again. Come and make us fruitful again. Come and lead us to the vine, the true vine, that we might be fruitful again. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your inward desperation match your outward. Even now, just begin to call in the Lord.